Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. We have a, a series that we're in the middle of, and it goes just like this. Just like he said. You guys ready to enter into today's message? I'm going to assume that everybody right where you are just said yes and amen because I can't hear you. But we're going to step into today's message in this series. Just like he said, we've been using this line right now that I want to read through. I want everybody to read through this right where you are. It says, the words of Jesus are trustworthy, true, eternal, powerful, and solid. I build my life on them. Come on, it might feel, feel a little bit confusing or a little bit awkward to do it wherever you're joining from right now, but I want you to read that because these words are true. It says, the words of Jesus are trustworthy, true, eternal, powerful, and solid. I build my life upon them. And for today's message, I want to use the scripture that we find in Matthew chapter 4. This is a scripture that would be familiar for many of us. This is the calling of the original disciples when Jesus is walking around the Sea of Galilee. And it reads like this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, somebody said at once, at once, they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately, somebody say immediately, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Today's message, if you are a note taker, I want you to write this down. Today's message is titled, Prepared to Pivot. Prepared to pivot. Wherever you're joining from, if you're in the room with someone right now, I want to encourage you to look across at them and say, I am prepared to pivot. If you're joining right now by yourself, jump in the comments section on the platform that you're in and write right now, I am prepared to pivot. Prepared to pivot. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into today's message. God, we're thankful that you are a speaking God that you didn't just speak when the Bible was written, that you are still speaking here today. And that is our prayer, that you would speak to us here today. We're thankful that we're not reliant on technology to hear from you, but we're thankful that we have it, that we can hear and be in community today. We're thankful for what you're doing in this church. And we're thankful that you are a speaking God. In your son's name, we've all prayed and everybody said, amen, amen. I was thinking recently about how awesome it would have been when I was in Bible college about 10 years ago if we had a course that would have been called Coronavirus and the Church. It would have been so great when we were in Bible college to learn about all the things that we're dealing with now. However, of course, there was no such course. But I was thinking about if there was a course, Coronavirus and the Church, the kind of things that we would have learned about it would have been things like how to do ministry in an online-only format. We would have learned about things like how to preach to a completely empty room. We would have learned about things like when your online ministry crashes because the internet is melting down, how do you reboot that online ministry? And we would have learned things like how to lead a team through an age where there really is no precedent before, where there are no textbooks that you can look to, where there is no people alive that can talk to you about what life was like in the most recent pandemic. 
These are the things that we would have learned about in this course, coronavirus in the church. However, it doesn't exist, and so we are writing textbooks for future generations to learn from. And I just want to say right now, as you are joining here today, that I am so proud of our staff team at this church. They have been leading by such wonderful examples in reaching out to so many of you. And if you haven't heard from someone on our team right now, then it's probably because we don't have the right information for you in our church database. Because I know that our church, our church staff is full of incredible leaders in worship leading and incredible leaders and experts in communications and experts in pastoral care and experts in family ministry. Our staff is full of wonderful experts. Like Steve Jobs talked about this several years ago when he was talking about what they did in his organization, Apple. He said, some business Businesses hire smart people only for those businesses to tell those smart people what they should do. But at Apple, he said, we hire smart people and we allow those smart people to tell us what to do. And that's really the formula and the method that we have at Cornerstone Church. We've hired incredible staff to ensure that you feel connected in this time where there is no precedent. And I've been so proud to see the way that we have been able to pivot to serve this community like never before. I know that our staff's hands are aching and tired from how many notes have been written to reach out to you. I know that their voices are hoarse from how many phone calls and how many prayers and conversations have taken place as we've tried to reach out and to ensure that everybody remain connected right now. The enemy would have us feel alone and the enemy would have us feel lonely, but this church exists so that we can be in community together to lift up the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And I've loved seeing the way that our staff team has pivoted recently. Pivoting. Pivoting is really something that's always important, but particularly right now. This situation that we find ourselves in is testing how well society can pivot, how many organizations can pivot, and how quickly businesses can pivot in general. We've seen a few examples right here. The French luxury giant LVMH has shifted production from perfume to hand sanitizer and from clothing to surgical masks. Alcoholic beverage businesses are using their equipment to brew up hand sanitizers now, as is Mary Kay. Ford is repurposing its automaking infrastructure to produce ventilators and medical face shields. Hanes, which makes clothing and underpants and all of those kind of things, is now manufacturing 1.5 million masks every single week. The swimwear startup called Somersault is using its customer service channels to now provide emotional support to people in its community. And you as well, you have pivoted like never before. I have been so blessed seeing how many people have posted things like, hey, if you know someone that isn't able to go and get their groceries, please let me know because I would love to go out and serve the community. How many people have volunteered for the very first time? How many people have decided to go and donate blood for the very first time because they have pivoted to respond? But crises aren't the only times that we need to pivot to respond. Life really is about decisions and choices. And these moments bring out the best in people. Success and enjoyment in life is determined ultimately by how we can pivot and transition through the different seasons of life that we're in. Like how well can you pivot from being a teenager to being an adult? Talk about an awkward time in life, but how well can you pivot in that season? How well can you pivot from being single to being married? How well can you pivot from having no kids to having kids? 
How well can you pivot from having little toddlers to having older kids? This is the season that my wife and I are in right now. And we've spent the last week removing and moving furniture around our house as we have started to move where the boys in our house are sleeping. And I know that people say, and they have said for years, enjoy all of these moments because you blink and in the flash of an eye, everything's gonna change and then your kids are gonna be off to college. And I know that people have said that and I never believed a word of it because I always thought I'll make the most of these moments and that'll always be years and years away. But then all of a sudden, my little boys are no longer sleeping across the hall in our household. And it's made me realize we need to pivot through this season. We need to pivot and make this transition. How well do you pivot from having kids in your home to being empty nesters? This is a huge one that I see people dealing with all the time. How well are you pivoting from having people in your home to no longer having those people in your home? How well are you pivoting from being someone who works to being someone who is now enjoying retirement? And how well do you pivot from allowing your parents to be caring for you to now you are caring for your parents? These are things and transitions that we go through, and the success in life is determined by how well you pivot through these different seasons, because life is full of transitions and life is full of choices. And this is where we find Simon and Andrew and James and John on the beach with Jesus on that day. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he says to Simon and Andrew, hey, you, come and follow me. And they drop what they are doing, and they immediately follow Jesus. And then he goes a little bit further with those two and he says to James and John, hey, stop what you're doing, come and follow me. And immediately they drop what they are doing and they come and follow Jesus. And this might seem like a little bit bizarre when you read it just in the book of Matthew, but when you look at this story in other scripture stories, in other gospels, we see that this isn't exactly what happened. We see that this story, uh, it shows that they dropped everything that they were doing. But when we look at the other gospel accounts, we see that these four individuals, they already knew Jesus. They had already encountered Jesus. They already heard him teach. They had already seen him perform miracles. They didn't drop what they were doing in some kind of blind faith, like to any person that would walk by, come and follow me and I'm gonna drop what I'm doing and then go. No, they already saw that this was a rabbi. They already had trust with this man. And Jesus says that the sheep know his voice. They didn't stop what they were doing immediately without any kind of faith. They had already built relationship with Jesus. And some of us go through life responding to what Jesus says through the Holy Spirit immediately. Some of us take a little bit longer to respond to what Jesus is saying and to what Jesus is doing. Some of us take a little bit longer for different reasons, like some people really like the comfort and the convenience that we have. Some people really like the schedules and the expectations that we have. Like I think about my wife right now. She loves expectations. She loves schedules. I am far more spontaneous where I wanna go and get ice cream on the flip of a hat and go and get ice cream right now, but it's not scheduled in our calendar, so it's difficult for my wife to wanna go and do that. We are getting ready to welcome our third little boy into our household in about a month's time. And last week, she spent a day preparing a bag. It's, I think it's called like a hospital go bag. And so there's all kinds of things in this bag, and she prepared it five weeks before the due date. And the idea of this bag, which I have no idea what's actually in it, is that we take this bag when it's time to go to the hospital, when the next baby is getting ready to be born. Now, number one, I don't know what's in it. Number two, I have no idea why it needed to be prepared five weeks before the due date. But she continually tells me that this is how God has created her to be, a planner, 
someone who likes schedules, someone who likes expectations. Many of you are just like this. I am not. And so I wonder sometimes if Jesus were to come back right now, what my wife would say. Like, oh, hey, Jesus, it's so good to see you here. I'm so glad that you're here. Let me um, go pack my bag real quick and I'll be back and I'll be ready in just a few weeks time and then we can go, right? We see in Luke chapter nine that there is a story where Jesus says to a man, come and follow me. Essentially the same thing that he said to the four disciples in Matthew chapter four. But in Luke chapter nine, he's calling a new person and he says, come and follow me. This man doesn't drop what he's doing immediately though. He responds, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus responds kind of peculiarly. He says, let the dead bury their dead, but you come with me and let's proclaim the kingdom of God together. It's kind of strange the way that Jesus responds. And when you look at this scripture, it seems like Jesus is kind of harsh. It seems like Jesus is being a little bit callous, like, Jesus, come on, this guy's father is dying or dead. But Jesus, why would you respond to tell him, let the dead bury their dead, you come with me? It seems a little bit harsh, but if you look more deeply into Scripture, you realize the nature and character of Jesus is not like this at all. We see that the nature and character of Jesus is that he loves people, that he is a gracious God. We see that it's not likely that that was exactly what was happening in in Sori anyway. We see what is more likely is that this man's dad was not actually dead. Theologians and scholars generally agree that this man's dad was not dead and he probably wasn't even dying, but this man was probably saying, first, let me hang out with my dad until he dies and then I will come and follow you. And when we read about Jesus and we learn more about his nature and his character, we see that he is a gracious God. We see that he responded to when Lazarus died and put his own life in danger and went to be with his family. We see that he grieved and he wept when John the Baptist died. We see that countless times he says to us, go and care for your loved ones. Jesus is a gracious and a loving God. He's not a callous God. He's not a mean God. He loves you and he loves his people. He wouldn't have said to this man, don't go and bury your dad. But this man was probably using his father as an excuse to put off and to delay his response to Jesus. Jesus cares greatly about our communities that we're in, but he also cares greatly about the priority that we put him in. And so Jesus, when he called John and his brother, we see that they were out fishing with their dad and they left what they were doing to go and be with Jesus. This man wouldn't leave his father and therefore he has no name in the Bible. This man is not mentioned by name. This man is not mentioned again but we see the story of James and John mentioned and they are called into being one of the 12 disciples that helped build the church. So pivoting is important. Pivoting through life is important. Our church, our entire church is really going through a season of pivoting, pivoting in leadership from our founding pastors, Bishop Michael Pitts and Pastor Kathy Pitts, who are at home right now on a very rare Sunday watching our two little boys. Thank you so much for giving us a Sunday morning that we could be here together. But they are enjoying a Sunday morning at home right now as my wife and I are here. Our church is transitioning in leadership from our founding pastors to Meredith and I. 
And now people come to us all the time and they ask us, what's going on in the future? What's gonna be happening? And let me tell you, the transition that we're going through is going great. We are having the time of our life. People are leaned in, people are responsive, people are happy, our team is strong, things are going well. But people come and ask Meredith and I, what's the vision for the future? Now, Meredith and I would happily talk to you about our method. We would happily talk to you about our culture. We would happily talk to you about our style. But the vision? The vision doesn't change. The vision was established when Jesus was on earth, when he set up the church. The vision is to have people passionately pursuing the presence of God and be going after the people of God. That's what Jesus told us to do back 2,000 years ago. That's what all churches have been called to do. And that's why our vision does not change from our founding pastors to Meredith and I. Our vision is still the same. It has been and it will continue to be to pursue the presence of God and to pursue his people. Now, other things might change, but the vision, the vision remains the same. And people ask us all the time about what our five-year vision is, our 10-year plan is, our 15-year plan. But the reason that we can't lay those things out is because society is changing so quickly that by the time that we get those things written out and printed, everything will have changed. That would have been outdated by now. And when I look at CEOs and when I've been studying leadership and, and organizational leadership over the last couple of years, I've seen that less and less and fewer and fewer CEOs and massive organizations are laying out what their vision for the future is because society is getting faster and faster. And so it's more and more difficult to tell you what life is going to be like in five or 10 years time. Did you know that three weeks ago we would be joining online only for church? No, you didn't. What's more important than vision is the ability to respond, is your pliability, is your ability and your preparedness to pivot. That's what God wants from us in this season. God wants you to be available, not to hang on to a word from 30 years ago, but to be able to hang on to the very true word that he is speaking right here in this moment. And he wants us to respond to everything Thing, every word that he is saying right here in these moments and to respond accordingly. That's what God would have from us. You've got to decide within yourself, are you going to be like one of those enormous big ships out on the ocean that take forever to turn? Or are you going to be like one of those little robo vacuums that clean your house automatically where you set it once and then it pivots on itself and it can move in any kind of different direction? How well can you pivot? I speak with hunters from time to time. Specifically, I like having conversations with bow and arrow hunters because I love learning about things that I don't know anything about. And so I have conversations with all kinds of different people. Like I was having a conversation with someone else the other day where they were talking about this, um, this subculture of society. It's this hobby that people have called bird watching. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this before, but I was just flabbergasted at this thing called bird watching. There's a whole community of people, if you didn't know, called birders. And Northwest Ohio is kind of a hub. I've been learning this over the last couple of weeks. These are people that gather together to go and watch birds. And so this person was telling me the other day about what you do, and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat like, okay, great, tell me about it, because I want to learn. And they said, okay, so you gather your stuff, you've got your binoculars and you've got your book and you put all your gear on and then you go out to the woods. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And then they're like, and then you sit there and you look for birds. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And then they're like, no, that's pretty much it. Like you just 
look at birds. And I'm like, uh-huh, and then what do you do? And they're like, and then if you see some, then you write them down in your book. And this is a whole subculture of the community that I knew nothing about. These are birders in our community. I was telling Meredith about this the other day, and she said, oh yeah, I know about birders. She said, I actually think that we might be bird watchers sometime in another season later in life. And I said, Meredith, you must not know who I am. I would not ever in any season of my life be a birder. And God bless you, you can go and join any community that you want to in the bird watching area, and you can go and be a part of the birders. But that's not me. What was my point? Oh, hunters, right? So I love having conversations with these hunters that put themselves out in the fields and then they climb up into these trees and they are prepared, right? They don't have their hunting gear. They don't have their bow and arrow tucked away in some kind of bag or tucked away out of reach. They have their gear with them ready and prepared for whatever walks across in front of them. If a deer were to walk in front of them and they were not prepared, they would miss their shot. John Maxwell says it like this, when opportunity comes, it is too late to prepare. And if you wait to get positioned, to get your equipment together when the opportunity is in front of you, you will miss that opportunity because you are not prepared. Preparation is important. That's why since 2014, since the Toledo water crisis, Meredith and I have always had bottles of water in our basement because we are prepared in case something like that ever happens again. That's why you don't go grocery shopping when everything runs out in your house. That's why most people go every single week when their supplies start running low because we want to be prepared for whatever season and whatever situation is coming against us. Okay, so preparation is important. We know that, right? But how do we pivot? How do we prepare to pivot? How do we ensure that we are prepared to pivot for what God is saying to us in every single situation? There are three things that I wanna talk about really quickly. And if you're a note taker, write these things down, okay? Number one, how do we prepare to pivot? By holding things loosely that are not foundational. Hold things loosely that are not foundational. Far too many people are far too certain about things that don't matter, and they're far too confused about the things that do matter. Like I've seen a ton of people posting about the end times on social media right now, about the rapture and about how everything is getting ready to end. They're far too certain about these kind of things. And I think maybe, but your kids at home, your kids want to be loved right now. And now you are in quarantine with your family and you don't even often know who your family is because you've been spending all of your time and all of your attention and all of your focus on all of these things when your family needs to be loved. How well are you holding onto things loosely that are not foundational? How well are you holding onto the things in life that are foundational? Number two, live responsibly. And when I say live responsibly, I'm talking about this financially. I'm talking about this healthily. I'm talking about this habitually. When you do these things, you will ensure that it's easier for you to pivot into whatever God is calling you into you. If God is telling you it's time for you to become a student and for you to go back to school, if you have already built a strong habit of being a student in life, of getting up early and being diligent and being dedicated and reading your Bible, it's gonna be far easier for you to pivot into being what God has called you to be because you have been living responsibly. That's number two. And number three, start today. Number one, hold things loosely that aren't foundational. Number two, live responsibly. And number three, Start today. Most people aren't exactly where they want to be in life right now. 
Most people wish that they had a little bit more savings in their bank account. Most people wish that they had uh, a higher position in their job. Most people wish that something would have changed for them slightly. Most people wish that their relationship with God was a little bit deeper or they understood and they had memorized a little bit more scripture. And so we regret the things of our past and that paralyzes us in our present. Most people are not where they want to be in life, but the way that you can change that is by starting today. If you wanna have a better relationship with God, start today. If you wanna have a better relationship with people in your family, start today. If you wanna know more about your Bible, start today, start today. And when we go back to our opening scripture, we see that this is what happened. When we read about this in Matthew chapter four, we've already seen that Jesus has gathered Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And when he goes a little bit further, it says this in Matthew chapter four, verse 21, it says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in their boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. James and John were preparing their nets. Jesus calls to them, and then they left their boat and their father. They're preparing their nets. You'll get this in just a moment. They're preparing their nets. Jesus calls to them, and then they leave their boat and their father. When Jesus calls you out of something, he might call you out of a profession. He might call you out of a relationship, but when Jesus calls you, he will always use the preparation that you have given to a thing. When Jesus calls you, he will always honor the preparation and the time and the diligence and the confidence that you have placed inside that thing. When God calls you, he will call and use the preparation that you have given to that thing. And everyone ultimately is preparing for something, but are you preparing for the right thing? Have you been preparing for the right thing recently? It would have been wonderful to have known even a month or two ago that the coronavirus was going to hit like it has. We might have responded differently. We might have prepared differently because we didn't prepare, because we didn't know that didn't allow us to prepare accordingly. And now things are kind of tough for a lot of people. Things are difficult, not just because there are no sports on TV to be watching, not just because the NBA has been suspended, not just because the baseball has been postponed, not just because the Olympics has been put off until next year, but over 3 million Americans just applied for unemployment. And things are incredibly difficult for a lot of people. These are difficult times because we weren't able to prepare and we weren't able to have the time for preparation like we wanted. And all of these difficult times that we find ourselves in right now are heaped on top of some of the other frustrations and the other difficulties that maybe you are already experiencing. Maybe you are already going through a really unforeseen and messy divorce. And now all of this heaped on top of that just seems like it's too much for you to bear right now. Maybe it seems like depression is all that you have, is loneliness is all that you have. But I believe that God has something else for you. Because when you look at the course of history, what we see is this is not the first time that something like this has happened. This is not the first time that a global pandemic has taken place. This is not the first time that we have seen economic downturn. This is not the first time that we have seen massive unemployment. And I don't mean this to say this with any minimizing of what's currently going on. Because I know that things are tough for you right now. 
I know that things are tough in your household. I know that maybe where you were financially secure, you don't feel financially secure anymore. I know that you probably thought that you could provide for your family and right now that is in question. I have been praying for all of you and I have been praying specifically with many of you, weeping with many of you because these situations and this time is difficult for you right now. But just in the same way that previous generations overcame the situations that they were in, we will do the same. We will bounce back better. Life will go on. Things will get better. I can promise you that. Things will get better. And in the same way that previous generations rebuilt in the downturn, things will get better. We will rebuild too. We will soar again because God has made us to be overcomers. In the same way that he made them to be overcomers, God has made us to be overcomers as well. And our tomorrow is brighter than our today. And our today is still brighter than our yesterday. And I believe that we will overcome because it's the same God that is in our mountain time and he is the same God that is in our valley time. He is the same God that is with you. He is not just interested in in your mountaintop experience. He is the same God that wants to be with you no matter where he finds you, no matter where you reach out to him. He is the same God that wants to be known by you. He is that kind of God. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And so what do we put our hope in? What do we put our hope in in this time right now? I've got a few things that I wanna talk about. Number one, we can put our hope in a future. Proverbs 23 says this, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. We have a hope that there will be an end to hurting and pain. We see this in Revelation chapter 21. Jesus says, he will wipe away every fear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What do we put our hope in? We can put our hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back for us. We see this in John chapter 14. It says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I'm going there to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me so that you may be with me wherever I am. Hebrews 9 says this as well. So Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, not for judgment's sake, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus is coming back for a glorious bride. And while we might be joining in online-only formats right now, while we might not know exactly what our format and community looks like tomorrow and in the future, God is coming back in the form of Jesus to a glorious bride, not a bride that is retreating, not a bride that is hiding in the basement, but a bride that is glorious, that looks good, that is strong, that is advancing, that is spreading the kingdom, that is a part of a growing church. This is the kind of bride that Jesus is coming back to. What do we have hope for? We have hope that he will give us rest. Matthew 11 says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I know that the last few weeks have left you feeling exhausted. I know that you have probably made more decisions 
in the last two weeks than you made in the last two years. If you are a decision maker, you probably have decision fatigue as you've been trying to figure out how do we keep people employed for as long as possible? How do we ensure that things can move on? How do we ensure that we are positioned well when we come out of this thing? And now as a result, you might feel emotionally exhausted. I wanna pray for you right now in this moment and I wanna encourage the entire church, let's all pray together in these moments. God, we're thankful that you bring rest. This is a time where many of us feel exhausted from the decisions, from the weight, from the burdens that are being carried. But God, we know that you bring rest, that we find our peace, that we find our wholeness in you. And we're thankful that you can bring the kind of rest that a few hours of sleep doesn't simply bring overnight, that you bring a supernatural rest. We're thankful for it, God. And we speak it today to everyone who is feeling exhausted, everyone who is feeling tired, everyone who is feeling at their wit's end, God. We speak peace that only you can bring today. It's in your son's name that we've prayed. Amen. He will give us rest. What else can we put our hope in? We can put our hope in the fact that he will bring us complete filling of himself. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live. Do not be unwise, but be wise, making the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean one time. In Greek, this verb is a present tense verb, which means that it is more accurately translated to mean be being filled. Not a one-time event of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day, wake up fresh with what He is speaking to you. Be filled with the renewing of your mind. Be filled with everything that God is doing in your community. Be filled with what God is doing in your life and in your family right now. Be filled with His Spirit. And when you focus on His Spirit and you allow His Spirit to fill you, the correct response is joy. And out of joy, we sing we have songs. My wife and I, every single day, we have praise and worship mu music playing in our house because we want to be posturing ourselves in an environment that is filled with the Spirit of God, that is filled with joy. And like I said, we're going to sing together in just a couple of moments because the correct response when we are filled with the Holy Spirit is joy. And out of joy, we sing because we have a hopeful future. Amen, church? Amen. I want to pray together right now as we wrap up service, and then we're going to sing together one more, one more time today. But let's join together and pray. God, we're thankful for what you are doing here in this place. We're thankful that you are not a God who would abandon us in our dark hours, but that you are a God who draws near to us. We're thankful for the fact that you are a God who loves us, who knows us, you're a God who wants to be intimate with us. And we're thankful that in a time when the world is filled with chaos, that they can look to us, the church, and they can see what calm looks like. We're thankful that in a time when the world is filled with fear, they can look to us, the church, and see what faith looks like. In a world that is filled with frustration, that they can see what peace looks like. And in a world that is filled with doubt, that they can see what hope looks like. 
God, we, your people, want to be a beacon of light. We, your people, want to be a place where prodigals can return, where prodigals can find their home. We wanna be champions to the broken, God. And we speak today, again afresh, that no matter what comes our way, no matter what difficulty, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we speak today that we will respond in accordance with what you are saying, focused with what you are saying, not focused on the difficulty and the turmoil and the frustration and the pain and the anxiety of the world, but we will respond in accordance with what you are saying. Speak to us afresh today, God. We cling to your words. We cling to your promises. We cling to your hope, knowing that they bring life, that they bring abundance of life, God. Our mind is made up. We today are prepared to pivot. Amen. I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.